What's up, guys? Welcome to Tuesday night. Hey, I got the clipboard coming around for a work crew if you're interested in that. And by the way, um, don't tell them we're doing this, but tomorrow is Travis's birthday, so his birthday card is coming around, but don't tell him. But you can sign it, okay? He's turning 40. <laughs> oh, man. We love you, Travis. Anyway, um, so that should be coming around. Um, we are in this series, oh, and there's going to be cake afterwards, right? Sweet. We'll, we'll sing happy birthday to him afterwards. It'll be fun. Um, anyway, we're in this series about soul care. And the whole idea behind it was that, you know, hey, we're going into uh, a, a new year is right around the corner. Instead of getting to January and we're trying to recover from the holidays, it's like, hey, let's go ahead and orient our hearts and our minds and our lives toward um, a, a sense and a place of health, of healthiness, so that when we go into January, it's like we're charging into the new year. We're ready to go. We got people around us. We are sensing God's presence in our lives, and it's like an exciting season um, as we go into the new year. So, um, you know, church is doing a holiday season. You can totally check that out. It's really good. Um, but I thought, man, this would be kind of fun for us, um, a little different than, than what we do typically. Um, so of week one, we talked about taking ownership. Most of us, you know, we relegate our spiritual health to the church and, uh, and church was never meant to replace it. It was just, it's supposed to be a supplement, a, a, an encouragement. Um, but oftentimes a lot of us, we just relegate our, our, our own spiritual health to the church. And then we talked about taking inventory. How is it with your soul? It's so important for us to pause and ask ourselves or even ask our, the people around us, the people that we love, hey, how is it with your soul? Because I believe if we're being authentic, a lot of us are walking around maybe in a hurt place or, 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 or wounded or crippled by shame or hurt or busyness or stress or all these different things. And, uh, and it might actually just be nice to have somebody authentically look at you in the eyes and say, hey, man, how are you doing? How are you doing? I know in my life, um, you know, it's been a difficult season and a lot of you guys have come up and said, hey, how are you doing? Or, or checked in with me by text and, and uh, I can't tell you how much it means to know that like Jessa and I are not walking this journey alone, right? There's a community of people around us praying for us and encouraging us and it means a lot. So don't, you know, that's important. So pause and talk to people and say, hey, how is it with your soul? Last week we talked about taking a load off. We talked about how, uh, man, just... The importance in this, it, when we're talking about soul care, um, there are a few things more helpful in tending to our souls than confession and repentance, than being able to get out from underneath the weight of the shame of the past, um, if, that's, if that's a place that you're at, but also knowing if there's people around you who might be in that spot, right, where they're, they're carrying a lot of shame around and, uh, and hurt and and baggage maybe from things that they've been through. And so um, week three, or sorry, week two of uh, soul care, we talked about taking a load off. Tonight, we're going to talk about take a hand. We're going to talk about take a hand. Before we jump into what that means, um, enlightenment. I'm going to hit a little bit of um, history of philosophy here real quick. And hopefully it's not like too, too much like school. <clears throat> Immanuel Kant, when he was asked 
how would you define enlightenment? He said this, humankind's release from its self-incured immaturity. He said, maturity is the ability to use one's own understanding without the guidance of another. And I want to speak broadly here, right? So, so this, is, this is generalizing, and I don't like to do that, but I think it's kind of important here. Um, as culture shifted drastically and humans became enlightened, right, to their own immaturity, according to Kant, um, we ushered in this idea, this ideology called humanism. Now, humanism is, is uh, defined as the system of thought attaching prime importance to human rather than divine or supernatural matters. All right, humanist beliefs stress the potential value and goodness of human beings, and they emphasize common human needs and seek solely rational ways of solving human problems. You see, here's what happened. For centuries, there was a way that you know, people went about doing things and then all of a sudden they started saying, you know what, if I thought through um, this particular problem, I probably can solve it. And they saw that happening, right? So science was advancing, philosophy was advancing, and all these things were kind of happening all at the same time. And people began to really put a lot of stock in the human person. And they began to say, look, you know, we are the end all be all of all these things of our own success, of our own lives of our own challenges. And so the danger of enlightenment and humanism is that in light of our supposed newly discovered autonomy, not only do I no longer need God, I also don't need wisdom of generations of those who've gone before me. And so what happened was here we are as a culture, um, you know, steeped in tradition, steeped in um, heritage and honoring, um, you know, wisdom of those who've gone before us. And we totally did an about face. And we said, from now on, we're going to focus on um, the future. We're going to focus on progress. And we are going to depend on our own ability because we can solve all of these problems. In most Western cultures, there was some embedded system or mechanism of cultural progeneration, passing along wisdom to other generations, right? And when enlightenment came around, um, resulting in these humanistic beliefs, many cultures just jettisoned these mechanisms, these cultural mechanisms, um, because they saw them as archaic and, and kind of outmoded. They, there's a new way of thinking. There's, there's a new way of life. There's a new way of moving forward. There's a new way to solve these problems. No longer is it the God of the gaps. Like if we don't know the answer to this, we'll just say, you know, that, um, you know, God's got it figured out. We'll actually, we'll take that, we'll, we'll, we'll get rid of that thought process and we'll try to figure it out on our own. Science was advancing and human thought was definitely moving into a place of new horizons. And as our past and traditions were gone from our sights, no longer were they present within our minds. So it's kind of an out of sight, out of mind kind of a situation. And, and I'm doing a lot of overgeneralization, and I don't like to do that, but I think it's important for seeing some of these broad strokes that are happening. Um, but we see a lot of evidence for this in today's culture. 
we see a widespread erosion of higher academia. Um, you know, originally when I uh, was getting into uh, my undergrad, my dream was to be able to teach on a university level. And I, I get to, um, I, I technically can, but the reality is, is um, now a lot of times um, college classes are just held online and, and, and great. But I personally feel like it kind of destroys the learning environment if it's all online, right? Um, and so you may feel differently. That's totally fine. That's just my opinion. And um, But I feel like there is an erosion of our academic institutions. We also see that apprenticeships are a way of the past. Again, these are not absolute. These are not... Um, completely, uh, there are exceptions, right? So there's still apprenticeships. There still are um, amazing schools that you can get into, um, but on, on a large scale. Um, the elderly are not revealed, revered. Wow, I cannot speak tonight. The elderly are not revered in many cases. We have a culture of just sending them to old folks' homes and just forgetting about them. Here's what I want to communicate to you tonight is that we are missing something in our culture that we should be fighting for and making a huge part of our every single day lives. And it's something that we don't see very much in our culture. Um, It's something that's definitely kind of an afterthought. But I wish as Christians that this was like as important as like, you know, hey, when you become a Christian, it's like you got to get baptized. You got to because you got to show the world that you've decided to follow Christ. I wish that this thing is as important as that, and that is mentorship. So take a hand. Talking about mentorship. You guys know that when um, Justin and I started dating, we dated for like six months and then we got engaged. We were engaged for like eight months before we got married. And I'm not exaggerating when I say that we might have talked on the phone 10 times in that entire period from the time that we started dating to the time that we got married. We might have talked on the phone 10 times. Um, And during the time that we dated, we probably talked two or three times total. Um, Not necessarily advocating for that, but we were both just super crazy busy. I was working 60 hours a week, running a service department, and then I was going to school three to four nights a week. Um, Our classes were from 6 to 9.30, and so I would shoot home and wake up early, be at the service department the next day. And, um, you know, Jessa, I would would be excited for the weekends, and I would call her up and say, hey, can we hang out? And she'd be like, nah, I can't hang out. I'm going to go hang out with my mentor. And I'm like, what? You sure? Like, can I be one of these mentors? <laughs> and then, uh, you know, like a, you know, we'd hang up or whatever. And um, I'd see her at school. And I'd be like, hey, you want to hang out this weekend, go catch a movie? And she'd be like, nah, I'm hanging out with an, another one of my mentors. I'm like, how many mentors do you have? You know, like a week would go by, I'd see her again at school and I would catch up to her and be like, hey, hey. Uh, you know, there's a soccer game downtown. You want to go catch it and we can go hang out a little bit downtown. She'd be like, no, I'm, I'm hanging out with my other, other mentor. And I'm like, what is going on here? Um, 
Legit, Jessa had like five mentors, okay, for all different parts of her life. And she had, and I think I'll go through this a little bit later, but like, um, let's see. Yeah, we'll talk about it in just a second. Um, yeah, she had, sorry, I got lost here. Um, she had a ton of mentors. Okay, here we go. Um, Dr. McConaughey, so when my wife, um, she has a crazy story. She had to get her GED just to get into college um, because she came from kind of a crazy background that didn't allow her to be able to go to school. So when she wanted to get into her undergrad, she had to get her GED, okay? Not the best like background and foundation for being a superstar student in your undergrad, right? But she gets her GED and her, her, her mentor, Dr. McConaughey, said, um, hey, if you can learn, uh, sorry, if you can read, you can learn anything. So she took that to heart. She graduated summa cum laude. Pretty awesome, right? Um, then she had uh, another mentor for her, like, career in mental health and relationships, which was us. And uh, that was Dr. Julie Slattery. Um. She had another mentor. This was actually her adopted mom. Um, her name is Linda Dillo. She had another mentor for theology. Um, her her mom like kind of mentored her in the like her her faith walk, right? Like who is God and and um, all of that. But she, but then her adopted dad, who he was a PhD from Dallas, was a mentor for to like correct all her theology that her adopted mom like messed her up on um kidding but then she had her therapist and like man she just surrounded herself with all of these people and I thought man all your best friends are like old what's wrong with you but but what was crazy is I was getting to know her I'm like you hang with you hang out everybody that you hang out with is like 30 years or 40 years older than you and um but there's one undeniable fact, and that is that God's hand was like all over her life. Like, so I come here, I'm in, I'm in undergrad, I'm just like a single dude trying to make it. I'm like, you know, kind of redefining and, and exploring, discovering who I am in Christ. And I met Jessa and we're dating and like, she's weird because she hangs out with all these old people. And, um, but I was like, I would go to chapel and Jessa would be there and I would see her and I would be like, man, I don't think I know one person on this earth that worships God the way that she worships God. And then I would talk to her and she would talk about how um, she was up from 11 o'clock to six o'clock in the morning scrubbing toilets before her convocation ceremony uh, where she was honored as a top student in her class. And she would talk about how like special that time was. Did she get to be by herself with Abba? And I just began to see like, man, this person is in love with Christ. And she has, his hand is all over her life. And she is amazing. She's an amazing person. And she has all these old friends. So I thought, man, I got to get me some old friends um, kidding. But this was like a new concept to me. I was like, wow. Okay. So she has all these mentors who are just 
pouring their lives into her. And literally, you can look up those people that I gave you their names. Um, they're all like doctors, and like doctors as in PhDs, and they're authors, and they're psychologists, and they're people that are like, like culture-changing kind of people. She sought them out, and she said, I want you to pour into my life. I'm here. I'm open. I, I want you to speak truth over me. I want you to speak into uh, my relationships, and I want you to speak into the career I want to have, and I want you to speak into, you know, my, my, my faith journey, my faith walk, so I can make sure that I'm, I'm, I'm chasing Christ every single day with every ounce of my being. And I saw that, and I was like, man, this is a brand new concept. And I started to get on board with this, and I said, I need to get a mentor. So, um, you know, as soon as I started school, I talked to my my professor, one of my professors, and I said, hey, um, I'm a new student here. I sucked at high school, and then I took a 10-year hiatus where I can barely remember any of it. And um, and so here I am, and I want to be a good student. Would you be my mentor? And he said, yes. And I was like, whoa, I got an old friend. And literally, it was weird. We went and we got pizza. And this guy's like, I think in his 70s, Dr. Lambright. And he's the one who told me, he said, if you can be, ca- if you can be talked out of your calling, you should be. And I started to hear some of these truths. And I was like, whoa, man, that's like huge these truths, these um, wisdom for life was like phew, huge. And then I, I, I'm studying theology. So I thought, well, I guess I should have a mentor for like my studies so I can make sure I'm learning the right stuff. So I, I got a mentor, my father-in-law, he, he's a, a PhD from Dallas. And I, I said, will you be my mentor? I want to make sure that I'm doing this right. And he said, yes. I got two old friends. And... Um, you know, and then one time I was, uh, we were, had some dear friends who um, knew about a ministry that we were in, involved in, and uh, we were praying with them, and this guy had like a fire in his prayer like I've never heard. And I was like, man, I want to have that kind of a prayer life. And so I was um, like in my master's by this point, and I said, hey, um, I really want you to be my mentor so I can um, see and experience the kind of incredible prayer life that you have. Would you do that? And he said, yes. I got three old friends. And um, so we're talking about mentorship. And what I want to ask you right now is who are the mentors in your life? I never even thought about this until I met Jessa and I saw what an insanely huge impact it had on her life. And I thought, I need to absolutely get some of that, right? And so um, as I began to pour, you know, pour my time, effort, and energy into pursuing these people who would speak into my life. They've come before me. These people have been in ministry for decades. They have been um, followers, devoted followers of Christ for decades. And, and they got around me and they started to say like, oh, you need to do this different, or you need to change this about what, how you're, how you're pursuing Christ. And that hurt a little bit. It stung a little bit because it's kind of uncomfortable, but I can't even tell you guys 
guys here today is we're talking about our soul care, how important it is to be able to have mentors in your life. Mentors that you personally have gone to and you have said, I want you to mentor me, please. I'm not talking about a friendship, though many of your mentors, if you have them, will become friends. This should. Who's mentoring you? Now, for this, for this series, I'm specifically talking about a mentor for your walk of faith. Because they're going to be the ones who can encourage you, encourage you in your prayer life and in your faith and walking through hardship and, and deep, dark seasons. They can, you know, challenge you and, and, and hold you up a little bit. So I just want to share a few points with you about mentorship that I've learned, and they are biblically based. Um, so here's number one. Most people won't get a mentor. Most people won't get a mentor. So if you're here tonight and you're like, man, soul care is important. I feel dry. I feel like I'm in a difficult season. Go get yourself a mentor. Find somebody at your church, maybe here, a leader, a pastor, and and pursue them. Okay, don't wait for a mentor to come along and say, hey, it looks like you're struggling. Can I... Can I encourage you? No, you go after that person and say, will you please mentor me in my faith or my whatever? You see, culture says that we're supposed to be autonomous. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Um, you know, if you're successful in life, you have to make it happen. We revere people in our, in our culture who are self-made. And it is hard to go to somebody deliberately and say, would you mentor me? But most people won't do that. Most people won't do that. That's why most of the time when you approach a person, if you've been prayerful about it, and you know it's the right person, you go to ask them, they probably will tell you yes, because nobody asks. We just don't. It is a thing of the past to go to somebody who's been there, done that, and to say, will you help me walk this journey? That is, culture tells you that that is outmoded and archaic thinking. Most people won't take ownership. Most people won't take inventory. Most people won't take a load off, and most people definitely won't take a hand. But most people can't describe themselves as fully devoted followers of Christ that are completely surrendered to his lordship, that can testify that their cup is overflowing. And they feel and know that they're growing in their faith every single day. Number two, mentorship prepares us for something in the future that God has. Maybe we don't know what it is. Maybe we do. But mentorship prepares us for that thing. Um, You guys have probably heard this. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. Success is when preparation meets opportunity. I love Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is Moses' pastoral sermon to the nation of Israel before they get ready to take over the land that God promised them, and he's not going to get to go with them. So it's like famous last words from the guy who's been your leader for the last 40 years. 
And he says this in Deuteronomy 6. He says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. And I would, I would, I would also extend that out to each other. Impress them on each other. Here's what he says. He says, talk about these commandments when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. In other words, talk about them constantly. Talk about them with each other. Teach them to each other. Tie them. And then he goes into like, even he takes it even deeper. He says, tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your foreheads and write them even on your door frames, on your houses and on your gates. He's not joking around, man. Moses is serious. He's like, you have to be sold out to this. But here's the reality is that you have an opportunity to teach each other and to live this out and be an encouragement to each other. They were being prepared. They were being prepared in this. Moses was preparing them for taking that final step into the promised land. And guess what? It was going to get even harder when they go in there with, jo- with um, Joshua's leadership. Number three, God intended us to learn through relationships. Ecclesia, I'm just going to throw a bunch of verses at you really fast. You can totally write them down if you want. Um, Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, the other one can pick them up. And, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen: as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Romans fifteen fourteen: I myself am convinced, my brothers and my sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and, and competent to instruct one another. See, we are relational beings. And I think, um, I think when, you know, God knows us and how we're designed and how he created us better than we could ever know ourselves. Okay. And, and his plan for learning about how to do life was that generations would pass those secrets, those truths on to other generations. And we see that here. So God intended us to learn through relationship. And the last one here is it gives us a new perspective. Um, the band can come on up, uh, be done in just a minute. But, you know, the um, a great friend of mine said a bunch of times, you probably have heard this before, a new perspective can be very effective. A different perspective can be very effective. And mentors give us a different and new perspective. Exodus 18, 13 through 17. I'm just going to read this to you really quickly. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as a judge for the people. Okay. There are estimations that Israel may have been in the millions by this point. Certainly hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Nomadic traveling through the desert, led by one guy, Moses. And this was early on. I can't imagine (laughs) trying to lead that many people is just insane. 
He served as a judge for the people and they stood around him from morning till evening. Now his father-in-law who had just arrived, he's kind of getting to know. And his father-in-law, by the way, which is interesting, um, Moses's wife came from a polygamous, polygamous, um, polytheistic, there we go, um, came from, sorry, totally different, woo, <laughs> probably polygamous also, but we'll talk about that later, um, polytheistic culture, right, they believed in all kinds of different gods, right, but because God was, Yahweh was doing crazy things in the, the Hebrews, Dis- delivered them from um, captivity in Egypt and all these things, he took notice and he was a priest in his culture, right? And he left with his daughter, Moses' wife, and came to join them. And he said, this God is the one true God. So he's there and he's like observing what's going on. And Moses is losing his mind because he's one guy leading probably millions of people through a desert who are tired and angry and, and complaining, right? Crazy. When his father-in-law saw all this that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge? While all these people stand around you from morning till evening, Moses answered him, because the people come to me and to seek God's will. And long story short is that Moses' father-in-law gave him a different perspective. He said, look, gather leaders, train them on how to be this judge decision person. And they'll be able to do work for you. Like he didn't realize he had all these resources around him. But I believe if there's anything that you take away from tonight about mentorship, about the value of it in your life is this mentorship will give you a different perspective. Because so many, so many folks, I, I, um, I sat down with Mark Haug. You guys, um, you know, last Sunday was his, I think his last Sunday. Actually, not last Sunday. The Sunday before that was his last sermon. He's been a real mentor for me. And there was one time where I met up with him. And uh, we sat down for lunch. And I said, Mark, I, I want to ask you, like, how, how can I experience the Holy Spirit through prayer in a new and a rich way and a man and he just in a couple of words like he just said something to me that totally changed my prayer life and it was in a moment there was one sentence one question and I walked out of there like man I'm so thankful for this relationship I just want to encourage you tonight, as we're talking about soul care, you know, if you're taking ownership and you're like, man, I am, I want to open my soul up to the riches of the blessings that God has so that I, my cup runneth over. So I can say that and be honest, my cup runneth over. And if you're taking inventory and saying, okay, really, truly, honestly, where am I? And then taking a load off and doing the whole confession, repentance thing, man, this is the absolute next best step is to find somebody in your life and say, will you be my mentor? In fact, maybe maybe you just get real with them and say, look, I've been through a hard season or it's, 
you know, things seem like they're not working out. I'm not really sure, but I just would love your perspective. just want to challenge you to be open to that idea. And lastly, I just want to give you a couple of really quick things that I learned about how to get a mentor. Number one is make it specific. Make it specific. Is it, do you want mentorship for your walk of faith? Do you want somebody to mentor you in an area of, of your career? Super important. Number two, Make it intentional. You go chase that person. See, what I hate about when we say, hey, um, can you hold me accountable? That is, that is a terrible attitude to accountability. It should be, can I give you, can I give account to you? Right? And so when it comes to mentorship, be intentional, pursue it. Most people aren't going to do it. Number three is make it temporary. The truth is, is that, um, you know, everybody's busy. And so it's important to think through, like, maybe, maybe you want to ask somebody to mentor you first off for a semester, a few weeks, or something like that. And lastly is make the goals clear. Go into that relationship, that conversation narrowly focused on how you want to grow in that area. Again, we're talking about your faith and your soul care. And so maybe you say, look, I feel dry in this season. I feel like things aren't going well and I just need maybe some encouragement or some perspective on how I can start feeling God in my life again or how I can orient my life in such a way that... Um, that I feel a sense of fulfillment in my life, whatever it is. But guys, I cannot express to you the importance of having a mentor. Let's pray. Father, I remember um, feeling like such a dummy restaurant sitting across from this old guy and then when the conversation started I knew I knew this was exactly where I needed to be so God I pray for each person here tonight that they if they haven't already experienced the amazing experience of having a mentor God that they would run out of here tonight uh, may, maybe before they even leave the building and call somebody and say will you mentor me please God because that different perspective or speaking through that person into our lives is such a huge part of caring for our soul So God, I just um, pray that we would have hearts of openness toward this idea. It's very vulnerable and difficult, but give us the strength and the courage to reach out. Give us the strength and the courage to reach out to that person that you're putting on each person's heart right now. Maybe they're thinking of the person right now that they, they know would speak incredible truths and maybe, maybe, um, encourage them and lift them up and give them a different perspective. So God, we just love you. Thank you for the ways that you are teaching us to care for our own soul.
this season. We just love you. In Jesus' name.